in the long story of God's desire to partner with humanity, each time he initiated a covenant with people to bring his good grace and good governance to the world, they didn't do so well. And the very next chapter in most of those stories, we find abysmal failure at being God's covenant partners. But something happened in the story when the author of our faith stepped onto the pages of human history as a character. But oh, what a change came in the very next chapter. Let's get into it. And thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. Today we're going to be asking the Spirit to speak to us on this topic, the next chapter. The next chapter. Lord, I know your word is powerful, and I know your word is clean. I know your word is sharp and effective. And so I'm asking you today that my words could convey your word and that through the foolishness of preaching that the body of Christ would be edified and this world would receive a testimony that will glorify your name, encourage and embolden us to be your covenant people and to accomplish your purpose in our world that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody like to read? Any readers? Got a few. Got a few. <laughs> Alexander's giving the, well, depends. Have you ever been reading a book and you liked it so much that maybe it was time to go to bed or time to go somewhere else or maybe time to, to eat or go to work and you really didn't want to put it down because you kind of want to get to the next chapter and see what happens. Some authors are very good about what they call cliffhangers. They close a chapter and they keep you on the edge of your seat to where you just feel like you got to turn to that next chapter and see what's going on. I get tickled, and uh, babe, I promised this was going to be in my notes before you did this last night. But my wife, three or four times a year, will get started on a book, and it's a little joke in our family because as a mother of three that are five and under, she doesn't get a lot of time to herself. But when she starts reading a book, she is one of these readers who hates to put the book down. She likes to read mystery books or thrillers, and so when she gets into it, she is into it. And sometimes I'll just have to say, good night, honey, I'll see you in the morning because she's over there with Baldacci, Brother Baldacci, or whoever it is, and she's reading, and she's going to stay up till Brother Baldacci finishes his little sermon. So she loves the next chapter. Well, funny as it is, I had planned on this title, the next chapter, and last night I came in after putting the boys to bed, and there was Brother Baldacci, and she had a new book out, and she was going to read it, and I thought, oh, here we go. And sure enough, I don't know what time that book closed, but I know she got to the next chapter, the next chapter. Now, chapters weren't part of the original text of the Bible. When we say Acts 2.38 or 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that wasn't in the initial text. But they were added as a means of organization about 800 years ago. There was a guy named Stephen Langston. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. If you've heard of the Canterbury Tales, he would have been the, the Archbishop of Canterbury about the time that Chaucer was writing. And he put chapters in the Bible for convenience sake. Because otherwise, Brother Scott, I'd have to say, turn your Bibles to somewhere in Luke and 
catch up with me. Chapters make it easier to locate what we're looking for. Now, they're not divinely ordained, but I'm going to use chapters today to indicate something that I think should help us understand what God is doing with us. There is a formal designation of chapters in a book, but there's also an informal use of chapters as periods of time or scenes in our lives. Has anybody ever heard, I don't like this part of my life, I'd like for the next chapter in the story to begin. I'd like to get to the next moment or the next scene or the next thing. Chapters can also have that meaning for us. I hope today as we move through the Word of God, you'll see that both of these meanings pertain to what God is doing in our lives. Enough prologue, let's get into the story. In our first chapter here today, we see Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. There's a divine mandate given to them. From the beginning, God has desired to have human partners covenant with him to accomplish his purpose in this world. From the very beginning, Brother Miller, he desired that we would partner with him to do the work that he wants to do. It's maybe a poignant, maybe a silly illustration, but I got great pleasure at taking out the trash today before service. And one of the reasons I got pleasure, Brother Egan, was I, I know how to, you may not believe this, I don't have a lot of skills, but I can actually take out the trash. I'm, 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 I'm a master at taking out the trash. I can do that. But there's a bag of trash back there, and I looked at it, and it wasn't really heavy. And Jude was standing close by. And I thought, aha, here's a potential fatherhood moment. And I said, Jude, would you like to, for me to, to, to help with taking out the trash? Yes, sir, Daddy. Because he's been told if he was good today, he'll get ice cream when the service is over. So I don't know if the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him or the Spirit of Bluebell, but he decided he would help with the trash. And Brother Roy, we opened that door, and he got that trash can, and he looked like Hercules with the world on his back and Atlas. You know, he, he was the superhero, and he marched right out there, and he had his chin held high, and I had to open those doors for him in the, the big trash can. And then when we were finished, he gave me a big high five, and I have to tell you, Brother Mark, it was the greatest trash-taking-out moment I've had since we began our church. Why? Because I can accomplish it on my own like that. It's nothing to me. It's boring. But because he partnered with me, we got greater joy out of it. If you will apply that illustration to your life, you'll understand a lot of things about the Lord. He can accomplish anything in this world by speaking it into existence but he gets greater joy out of partnering with us to do his work in this world than would come through just a miraculous palabra de Dios, a word of God that he would give. And so, in other words, he likes to partner with us to do his work. So he says to Adam and Eve, I want you, in other words, to bring my good grace and my good governance to the rest of the world. Please understand that only Eden was perfect, the rest of the world was still in chaos and was not yet under the rule of God because Satan had come here at the command of God. Satan had been cast out of heaven, Luke 10 and 18, at the speed of light, 186,000 feet per second. Satan was cast away as a broken cherub who had defied God. And God had said, out of here, buddy. And he was cast into earth as his prison. And with Satan's descent into the earth, 
it became a world of chaos. So see, the serpent didn't come into a perfect world and spoil it. That's not what happened. He didn't walk into Eden and say, oh, God, you made a nice little garden here. I think I'll mess it up. God said, Satan, you've got a chaotic little prison down there. I think I'm going to clean it up. And I'm not going to do it myself because that's no fun. That's like Jackson taking out the trash. I'm going to use creative beings that I have made that are a little lower than the angels, and I'm going to prove to you that they will do what you wouldn't. They will worship me. They will serve me, and they will partner with me to accomplish my bidding. How many are glad that you got chosen to be a partner with God? That he actually wants you to do some good in this world, and that he has some good works for you to do. So here's Adam and Eve. God says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply, and I want you to be a blessing. He said, replenish the earth. Rebecca, that um, Hebrew word is male, replenish the earth. It means to consecrate it. Our role, Brother Renderer, is to make the world holy ground. That everywhere we go, it becomes holy ground through the presence of the good grace and governance of God that comes through his covenant partners, the covenant people of God. We were to exercise authority, to subdue the earth. That Hebrew is kabosh. If you ever heard, put the kabosh on somebody, that's what the word, that's where it comes from. We were supposed to bring down the principalities and authorities in this world and bring them under subjection to the rule of God. That was Adam and Eve's initial mandate. It's like to put down a rebellion. God's desire to use humans to prove that a creative being would serve him. The contest with Satan had already been won. It was child's play for God to put Satan down on his own. But Sister Myers, he wanted to prove that you, through his power, could put down rulers and authorities and principalities. And so now God's going to win the battle, not by being a contestant, but by being a coach. It's as if the greatest soldier in the world put his arms down and said, I'm just going to direct the battle. I'm not going to fight myself. I'll just direct the battle from here. Well, that's a great story. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. It's the story told two different ways. But unfortunately, Rebecca, we have the next chapter. And the very next chapter, after Adam and Eve are given this great opportunity to partner with God, the very next chapter, what happens? Don't eat the fruit. And what do they do? They eat the fruit. There's only one rule. Have you seen that meme, you had one job? This is the ultimate, you had one job. The entire world was affected because they didn't obey their one job that they had to do. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall, their disobedience. Made in the image of God, listen to what they already had, Satan tempted them to be a shortcut to be as gods. They were made in the image of God, capital G. But Satan said, if you'll do what I say and take the shortcut, you'll be like little gods. <laughs> Isn't that always what the devil does? You've got something valuable. You're holding a two-carat diamond with I2 quality. And he says, I got some great cubic zirconia for you that I want out of a 25-cent gumball machine. Wouldn't you like to trade? That's what Satan does. He trades the worthless for the invaluable in our lives. The fall of humanity was so great that in Genesis 6 and 5, Scripture says that every imagination of the thoughts of humanity's heart 
was only evil continually. Every imagination was evil. Well, God's not finished. He started with his family, Adam and Eve, and now we have Noah and a clan. The Bible says in 6.8, right after all this evil, in Genesis 6 and 8, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you know the story. There's a bunch of evil. These people are going to kill Noah and his family. And so Peter said the water saved them. It wasn't the boat that saved them. It was the flood. Why, Sister Myers? Because those evil people were going to kill that righteous family. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, they were going to be victims of homicide because they represented righteousness in an evil generation. God said, no, I'm going to send a flood. So the flood comes. It rescues the righteous people. They're saved by water just as we are in baptism, Peter said. And in Genesis 9 and 1, right after they got off the boat, God renews his covenant partnership with humanity. Now, what did Adam and Eve get told? Be fruitful, multiply, consecrate the earth. Look at what God says in Genesis 9 and 1 to those eight people getting off that boat. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Sound familiar? They get the covenant renewed, the authority from God to subdue and replenish and consecrate this earth. <laughs> but you know what's coming, right? You can read it, the next chapter. Humanity is given a, 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 a job to do. And he says, go out, spread my good government, spread my name, consecrate the earth. And on the plains of Shinar, a bunch of people get together and say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's don't spread out. Let's don't spread good grace and governance. Let's don't spread the name of God. Let's stay together and build a tower, reach it up to heaven, and pull down God out of heaven and make a name for ourselves. Let's do the opposite of what God told us. Kind of sounds like Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve tried to pull divinity off a tree. And at Babel, the Babylonians tried to pull divinity out of the clouds. It's just as foolish. Can I just say something very plainly here today? You will never achieve peace and salvation through any other way than what God has ordained it. You will not educate yourself into peace. You will not physically train and become physically fit to where your life works all together in perfect harmony. You will never have enough money. You'll never have enough relationships. You'll never find the philosophy that will give you the wisdom to allow you to make your life perfect because you cannot construct heaven using only earthly means. It takes the God of this universe who made us to make us what we need to be in his image. Adam and Eve the next chapter. Noah and his people, the next chapter. But immediately after Babel, in Genesis 12, God starts calling again. Adam and Eve mess up, he calls Noah. Noah and his people mess up, he calls Abraham. In Genesis 12, he says, you come out from Ur of the Chaldees. Why do you say that, Brother Renderer? Because Chaldees is a euphemism for Babylon, the plains of Shinar. He said, you come out from these people who are self-aggrandizing, and I want you to go where I tell you to go. And he makes a covenant with him. In Genesis 15, he says, I want you to go where I tell you, and all the peoples of the earth, all the families of the earth, will be blessed through you. Sound familiar? Replenish the earth, be fruitful, multiply. Your, sand, your seed is going to be like the sand of the sea, the stars of the heavens. You're going to multiply, and I'm going to bless everyone through you. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. That's what he said to Noah and his family. It's what he says to Abraham 
and to Sarah. And in chapter 15, they get this covenant confirmed, and there's an altar scene, and God moves in, and he confirms the covenant with Abraham, and it sounds great until the next chapter. You see a pattern? In Genesis 16, this great family of faith is turning to means of the flesh, and they're using Hagar's body in an improper way to try to bring about the covenant of God. They're already sinning in the next chapter. So far, the people of God are 0 for 3. And they can't hit the curveball. Because every time they get a promise and a mandate, by the next chapter, they throw it away through their foolishness, pride, and sin. <sighs> All right. Sorry, Adam and Eve. Sorry, Noah. Sorry, Abraham. A family couldn't do it. A clan couldn't do it. A tribe couldn't do it. How about we call a whole country? And God immediately, after Abraham's failure, calls Israel as a nation. Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, He chose Israel from among the nations to show the way to salvation. And in Exodus 20 through 31, this, this whole scene at Sinai, Exodus 20 through 31, he gives them the law that makes them the people. This is the, this is the July the 4th of the of the Israel nation. This is when they became a nation is when the law was given. It's like Cinco de Mayo for Mexico. It's like July 14th, the fall of the Bastille for France. It's when they recognized they became a nation was when the law was given. Exodus 20 through 31. And you can read there. The law is given. They're to live in covenant partnership with God and they're to, to lift the light of God for all the nations. It looks like finally Abraham's mandate that Noah's mandate and Adam and Eve's mandate is going to come to pass. You got a cloud by day. You got fire by night. You got angels, Jude said, handing them the law. You got God himself writing the tablets down and handing it to Moses. Exodus 31. Brother Roy, it sounds like we're going to be okay this time. It looks like everything's going to work out. But I got the three dreaded words again. Say it with me. The next chapter, Exodus 32. It's naked dance party time at the Israeli camp. They set up a golden calf. They start playing a bunch of music. And they start pulling off all their clothes and dancing around this calf saying, this is what brought us out of, what in the ever living world? It's like they lost their mind. Moses is up on the hill and they say, this is what brought us out of Egypt. And they turn to such fleshliness, Sister Myers, and such craziness and perversion right after being named the covenant people of God. This story is the theme of the Old Testament. It is the theme of the Old Covenant that God wants to partner with humanity, but humanity keeps messing it up time after time after time after time. God, look at the book of Judges. The people of Israel, they're in captivity because of their sin. Oh, God, we're in captivity because of our sin. Will you send us a deliverer? Yeah, I think I'll send you a deliverer. Then the deliverer comes, and then the enemy is defeated, and then the people get lazy again, and they forget God, and they start, and over and over and over, this cycle, this cycle of murmuring, complaining, and forgetting God, and before you and I judge too harshly, don't we sometimes see that pattern in our own lives when we go our own ways? How quickly we forget God's covenant partnership call. The prophet Ezekiel summarizing this failed project of the Old Testament says in the voice of God, Ezekiel 22 and 30, I sought for a man among them 
that should make up the hedge. I'm looking for somebody to, to kind of be in the gap and to stand in the gap before me for the land. Again, Brother Mark, it wasn't just for individual salvation. It was for everyone mm -hmm. and for the earth. God wanted a covenant partner. He said that I wouldn't destroy it. But three terrible words. I brought you the three words in the next chapter. Listen to these three terrible words that God says. He said, I found none. Roy was a pretty good guy, but he couldn't get it done. Ray's a nice guy. He knows I too, but he couldn't get it done. Willie's sweet as he can be. Nice guy. He couldn't get it done. Rebecca couldn't get it done. Jana, Egan, Rocky couldn't get it done. Even Martine couldn't get it done. There was nobody that could fulfill God's covenant partnership opportunity. So, we go to the next covenant. Not just a new chapter, but a new way of approaching God. Amen. God says, being the coach is not working. And so God puts down his clipboard of instruction, and he becomes a player coach, Brother Mark, and he steps onto the field. And he says, if they're getting beaten, I will help them win the victory myself. And God steps back onto the playing field by putting flesh on himself. And he becomes the man that he couldn't find. He said, I can't find anybody, so I will take on flesh and I will go myself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That word reconciling literally means to change by putting down doesn't mean that he put us down like a like a put down not an insult it means that he put down principalities and powers in this world and changed this world by coming himself adam and eve couldn't do it noah couldn't do it abraham couldn't do it israel failed to do it but god put on flesh in the incarnation and my bible says in colossians chapter 2 verse 15 that on the cross when he spread his hands between heaven and hell he spread them wide to show this world that every power and every principality and every evil spirit and every spirit that opposes god's good grace and governance was now under the feet of christ and our lord is victorious his battle is won, and it is over, and he rules, and he reigns in authority. God came in Christ to do what humanity had failed to do, to put down the evil powers of this world and to bring about a whole new creation. He goes to the cross and defeats every evil power, and by virtue of that authority, he renews his covenant. Luke 22 and 20, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he said, every time you do this, you remember my death. When we take communion, we're not just getting sentimental and looking back to a sacrifice to honor a sacrifice. We're also placing a bold marker in the middle of time and eternity and saying once and for all, every evil power has been defeated. And if we stand in Christ, we stand in victory. If we stand in the Lord, we stand in authority. If we stand in the church, we stand in triumph. Paul said, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. We are now a people that are a new kind of human. 
Jesus was a hybrid. He was all God, but he was all man. And now the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creature. Phil, you are a very unusual person. Because when the Holy Spirit fills your body, you stop just being regular old Phil. And you become a new type of human that the world has never seen before the day of Pentecost. It is a human that is filled on the inside out with the power of God. Adam and Eve walked with God. Noah knew who God was and had grace in his eyes. Abraham conversed with God. And Israel saw God on the mountain manifest as a fire and a pillar of smoke. But let me tell you something. On those days of Pentecost, the church got to experience God not on the external to them, but he was on the inside. He was inside of them, empowering them and ennobling them to do the work of God. Here's that covenant. It's what's known as the Great Commission. Luke 24, Acts 1, Mark 16, and Matthew 28, and John chapter 20. You'll find that great commission. That's all one scene in the Bible. The different authors are telling about it. It says there are going to be signs, Mark 16. In other words, be fruitful. He says make disciples of every nation, Matthew 28. In other words, multiply. He says I want you to exercise authority and bring the powers under subjection. Matthew 28 and 20, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And in Mark 16, 16, he says, I want you to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's not some snake handling church in Georgia. That's a total misinterpretation of that scripture. What Jesus was saying is, I'm going to give you power over the original serpent. You will tread on him. It's, it's confirmed in Romans when he says, I'm going to play, crush Satan under your feet shortly. Sound familiar? Be fruitful. Multiply. Exercise authority and consecrate the world. Yes, it sounds familiar. Let's hear from Brother Yogi Berra. It's deja vu all over again. We got a command. We got a mandate, Scott. And God has done the work and he's put it right in front of us on a silver platter. So now I just want you to partner with me. Well, Adam and Eve's going to say, eh, you wait. Noah's going to say, eh, it sounds pretty good now, but I'll see you in the next chapter. Abraham says, I had a covenant too, but then Hagar walked by and then Israel's going to say, we had a covenant and we couldn't even keep our clothes on. Wait till the next chapter. But something different happened on the day of Pentecost. And you're not any better than Adam and Eve. Don't fool yourself. You're certainly no better than Israel. I'm not any better than Noah. And I'm not any I couldn't build a tugboat, much less an ark. And I'm not any better than Abraham for sure. But I am telling you something. I am a different kind of human than they were because I had the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And so once that new covenant was consecrated with the people of God, and once the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, once they received the power of God inside of them in Acts chapter 2, I'm very happy to tell you that if you'll turn to the very next chapter in your Bible, you'll find a scene in Acts chapter 3. And it's not a scene of Peter and John taking things that didn't belong to them. It's not a scene of the people trying to build a tower 
to make their name known and build the first church of Jerusalem and make themselves famous with their television show. It's not a scene of Israel dancing and, and cavorting and perverting the things of God and serving false idols. It's not a scene of Abraham and Sarah using someone else for their own aggrandizement. But that scene is Peter and John walking up to worship at the temple, ascending to the temple mount, and there's somebody in their pathway that's got a need. And the Bible says that he looked on them and Peter looked and fastened his eyes on him and he said, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'm telling you today, church, that the very next chapter after this covenant with the Holy Spirit was committed, the people of God did the things of God and they brought the grace of God into the need of the people. Would you stand with me today? Our next chapter doesn't have to end in failure. Not because we're moral, not because we're righteous, not because we're good, but because we are spirit-filled. Carla, you are danger to the enemy today, not because you're a good woman, but because you are an entirely different kind of woman that the world has never seen before Pentecost. Brother Miller, you're, you're a great man, and I give you honor, but you are dangerous to the enemy, not because you're just a moral man, you're a danger to the enemy because you are a spirit-filled man. It makes a tremendous difference. And our next chapter can be a chapter of authority. Our next chapter can be a chapter of hope. Our next chapter can be a chapter of deliverance. And our next chapter can be a chapter of peace. Somebody lift your hands with me right now. Somebody lift your hands with me right now. Who is in your path? Who's in your path? Who is in your way and they have needs that God intends to meet as you extend your hand to them in his name? Our next chapter is the chapter of their deliverance. We're not going to fail. I'm going to prophesy to you right now. I want you to hear me. I'm standing flat-footed before you. Arlington United is not going to fail to meet the needs of this community. We are not going to fail to be a covenant people before the Lord. Not because I'm a great church planner. Not because you're great givers. Not because we got the most awesome worship team that was ever invented in worship teams or that we have the, the greatest facilities or that we have the nicest people or the best people or even that we all get along the best. i tell you why we're not going to fail, Sister Myers. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. And because God has empowered us to do exactly what he wants done in this city. So I'm telling you that the lame can walk in the name of Jesus. I am telling you that the captives can be set free in the name of Jesus. Sister Sarah, if you believe it, you ought to say amen. Anybody can be delivered in the name of Jesus because we're in the next chapter and it's a great story of what God is doing. He is fulfilling his needs in this earth through his church and we can be a part of it. In the long story of God's desire to partner with humanity, each time he initiated a covenant with people to bring his good grace and good governance to the world, they didn't do so well. And the very next chapter in most of those stories, we find abysmal failure at being God's covenant partners. But something happened in the story when the author of our faith stepped onto the pages of human history as a character. But oh, what a change came in the very next chapter. Let's get into it. And thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United.